Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and welcome to the new CNN political briefing. We are now less than 100 days away from one of the first big voting events in the 2024 election, the Iowa caucuses. Republicans in Iowa will gather and cast their votes on January 15th. How important is the Iowa caucus, the first in the nation, to win that presidential nomination? This is the first time people actually get to register their votes. And this is where it all began. I'm the only candidate that's doing all 99 counties. That's Florida governor and Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis. He's one of the many candidates making the rounds in the Hawkeye state, from former Vice President Mike Pence to Governor Nikki Haley and former President Donald Trump. With your support on Monday, January 15th, we're going to win the Iowa caucuses and a historic landslide. I got to tell you, as we travel around Iowa, it just always feels like home. Don't complain about what we get in a general election if you don't play in this caucus. It matters. Yes, as you can hear, election season is in full swing in a state that's once again set up to be a focal point for the next three months in this presidential contest. And seasoned experts and operatives say this year, the stakes for the Iowa caucuses are even higher than normal. Joining me now to explain all things Iowa to us is O.K. Henderson. She's a veteran political reporter and news director of Radio Iowa. And she's here today bringing us the very latest from the ground in Iowa and giving us an inside look into what to watch out for as the campaign season intensifies. I want to start, first of all, just this is Iowa caucus number what for you in terms of how many you have covered? How many cycles? I covered 16 candidates, eight Republicans and eight Democrats in 1987 and 88. So you do the math. <laughs> and you've covered everyone since. That's a pretty, I have. That's pretty remarkable. So with that perspective of being expert in this Iowa caucus process, how does this campaign season in Iowa compared to those of years past? Obviously, each is unique. How would you describe this one? It's obviously unique because you essentially have an incumbent running in a caucus cycle in which you would normally have a group of people who are hoping to be the challenger to the incumbent president. And it at this point, it's for sure Trump's race to lose. In other words, he's geared for a win here just because of all the the data that we see about Republicans in Iowa and how they feel about the president, the things that they tell me when I'm out covering candidates who aren't <laughs> named Donald Trump. For example, I covered Nikki Haley last month, and I interviewed a gentleman in the audience who had a bunch of questions for Nikki Haley, and he told me that he was going to vote for Donald Trump. He's just looking at the others as maybe a fallback position if something happens between now and January 15th. I want to make clear for everyone, the way in which the Democrats have conducted their caucuses in the past and the way Republicans conduct their caucuses are different. So can you take us through how this will actually work on January 15th? Republicans will show up at precinct meetings throughout the state on January 15th. They will have a ballot, a piece of paper on which they will indicate which candidate they prefer. Those slips of paper will be counted and a winner will be announced. There is no 
realignment. There is no prize for being second in the room. It is merely a straw poll, if you will, of people who attend the caucuses. And Donald Trump actually came in second in 2016. I know he won in the general election in 16 and 20. He won Iowa big. He's very popular with Republicans in Iowa. But in that initial political run for him, he came up short to Ted Cruz. Do you see something different in the Trump operation in 2023 versus what you observed and covered eight years ago in 2015? Well, let's just go back to 2016 and the map of Iowa. If you look at where Trump won, it was in counties in the state that were medium-sized and and large-sized, whereas Marco Rubio carried some of the largest counties in the state. Trump did not win in many rural areas Ted Cruz really, if you look at the map, won in the smallest and most rural areas of the state. And it's beginning to be the view that 2024 caucuses will be the flip of that, that Trump may be able to run up the score in Iowa's rural areas because he is incredibly popular there. And the other candidates who might wish to come in second or or third or perhaps even become the king of the caucuses on January 15th will do better in the urban areas. Now, that makes sense in the, in the sense that we have seen across the country Donald right. Trump bleed support in the suburbs and in urban areas. So that would make sense mm-hmm. that that may occur here as well. But... It seems to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, you're there covering it every day, DeSantis's strategy seems to be trying to guard against that. That's why he's doing the full 99-county right. tour, the, uh, what they call the full Grassley, uh, named after the senior senator there. But he's trying to reach all those smaller pockets of communities, I, I guess, to try to mitigate what you're saying may be Trump's success there. And I was out on the campaign trail with him last month. And he visited a group of counties that Ted Cruz won. And then this past week, and DeSantis went to a place like Storm Lake, Iowa, which is in Buena Vista County, where Ted Cruz won that county by six points ahead of Donald Trump. So you're right. DeSantis looks at the at the Cruz map, if you will, and they know that they have to run those margins in rural areas. And that is why... He is going to every one of Iowa's 99 counties. And we should probably note here, too, this may not be by accident. Jeff Rowe, who was Ted Cruz's uh, campaign manager and guru Mm -hmm. back in that campaign, is running the super PAC supporting DeSantis never back down, which is basically running the DeSantis field operation. Kay, I know it's not your job to defend Iowa's role at the front of the pack here, that uh, we can leave that to the partisans. You cover it. But can, in right. your decades of covering Iowa caucuses, can you, for our listeners who have never been to Iowa perhaps or haven't uh, seen what happens there, why is there value, do you think, in Iowa going first and with the caucuses, as you described, they'll take place in January. 
Well, one of the things that I have observed about the whole discussion about Governor Ron DeSantis is that people have been picking at him for his campaign abilities. And one thing that I think you and I have learned about covering campaign after campaign is that candidates get better at campaigning by campaigning. And Iowa offers you myriad number of options for campaigning in front of different kinds of crowds in different kinds of settings. It's not about having a news conference in every big city. It's not about flying in and having an event in, a, in an airplane hangar. It's about standing in front of real human beings and making your case and then engaging with them sometimes in question and answer. And that, as you and I have seen over the years, makes a candidate better on their feet as they gain those skills in campaigning. Also, I've observed that candidates who come from larger states sometimes enter at a disadvantage because mm. of the way in which you campaign in a really large state like California, for instance, as compared to a state like Kansas, where, you know, Bob Dole came from. And, you know, he is in the last century, the king of the Iowa caucuses. That makes a lot of sense. And as you started with the example of DeSantis, he comes from one of those very, very large states where campaigning is uh, an entirely different uh, kind of animal than it is in Iowa. Kay Henderson, stay right there. We're going to take a quick break. I've got lots more questions for you. As you make us smart on all things Iowa, we'll be right back. Shopify's taking the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing for your retail store? Upgrade your point of sale system with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Get award-winning support and see why millions of businesses worldwide trust Shopify. Do retail right. Grab your $1 trial at shopify.com slash CNN. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash CNN for a $1 per month trial. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Okay, I'd asked you what's different this time, and you noted sort of the power of pseudo-incumbency that Donald Trump has. What do you see in terms of level of engagement since you noted it's Donald Trump's to lose, right? That is true nationally as well. I mean, we see in all the polls, he's got this such a substantial lead. Are you seeing that impact engagement among the 
activists, the caucus goers, uh, both the reliable set of caucus goers and those that may be drawn into the process for the first time? Or are you seeing a similar level of candidate activity and engagement that you've seen in past caucuses at this point, you know, just under 100 days to go? You know, I don't really want to talk about the polling because we haven't had very many polls here in the the past couple of weeks. But the poll that the Des Moines Register did in August had interesting data, not about the horse race, but about the makeup of Iowa Republicans. So, for instance, there were in the range of about 46% of Republicans thereabouts who consider themselves MAGA Republicans. So when you have nearly half of Republicans have a positive view of the central theme of the Trump campaign, that's something to watch. And then the other thing to watch is that poll sought to find out if there were sort of never-Trumpers or anti-Trumpers. And there were fewer than one in four who were definitely not planning to vote for Donald Trump in the caucuses. So that is the conundrum that these, you know, 500 or so candidates who are challenging Donald Trump find themselves in, is that there's a very small pool of people who are ready to engage with someone who is not Donald Trump, whereas you have this other big pool of people who really like Donald Trump, they like what he did as president, they consider themselves Trump people, and they are very inclined to be prepared to vote for him in the caucuses. That doesn't mean at the last minute they may jump on another bandwagon or have different thoughts. But at this moment, he's wrapped up almost about 50% of people to be having a mindset that they're going to be Trump people. And how do you see on the ground a DeSantis, a Haley, a Tim Scott, a Mike Pence, a Vivek Ramaswamy address that conundrum? How do you see them making an appeal to those voters who voted for Trump, who caucused for Trump perhaps even, and who may be open to somebody else, but not if that somebody else is going to attack Donald Trump, who they like? What are they doing to make their appeal to those voters? Well, let's take them one at a time. You mentioned Ron DeSantis. He is making the case that it's time for a new generation of leaders. It's time to elect someone who could potentially serve two terms and enact the kind of reforms that he is presenting as his platform to voters. So that's the way he is framing it. And time to move on, he says, from, you know, he doesn't say histronics or, you know, the chaos, but just what a Trump presidency might be like is, you know, in the coming years might be very similar to what it was last time. He's trying to make that point with voters. Nikki Haley is far more direct about it. And she also makes the case that it's a time for a new generation of of voters. Tim Scott is presenting himself as kind of the happy warrior of the bunch. And Vivek Ramaswamy is interesting, but the polling here doesn't show that he's sort of making a move 
ahead of the pack. He is essentially a younger Donald Trump with a different kind of vocabulary. Hmm. What are the issues animating Iowa Republicans more than anything else as you are out and about on the campaign trail? Border security, the debt and deficit, and what some of them refer to as the administrative state, um, you know, the heavy hand of government. Those are themes that you're hearing from the likes of these candidates who are campaigning in Iowa. The other interesting part of the conversation that's going on in the Iowa campaign trail is support for Ukraine. That's really an interesting point of demarcation among the candidates. For instance, Mike Pence in in early spring was booed at a Republican group's event because he was being very supportive of Ukraine and the idea that the U.S. must keep up its support of Ukraine's attempt to repel Russia. Your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. Anybody that says that we can't be the leader of the free world and solve our problems at home has a pretty small view of the greatest nation on earth. We can do both. And I think you're going to start hearing the same kind of difference as candidates are talking about what's going on in Israel, because Vivek Ramaswamy has already started talking about how some of his competitors have been, in his word, unserious in their discussion of destroying Hamas. And in particular, he uh, singled out Mike Pence for saying, just do it. There is a group of libertarian-leaning Iowa Republicans who want to see the country stop spending so much money in places that aren't in the United States of America. Before I let you go, you consume a lot of national political coverage in addition to tracking all of your competitors there in Iowa. What do you think the national political narrative press coverage just doesn't get right about what's happening on the ground in Iowa? I hear an argument from operatives a lot, oh, politics has gotten so nationalized that there's less of a difference between the way in which people are experiencing the campaign on the ground in an early state like Iowa versus what is being discussed nationally. But I find that there are still some differences. I'm wondering, what do you see that the sort of national press just doesn't quite capture? Well, there are a few issues that are resonating in Iowa that really have no relevance elsewhere. There is a proposed carbon capture pipeline in Iowa. Actually, there are three of them that have been proposed, and they've been quite controversial from a property rights standpoint among some Republicans, whereas other Republicans think this is a way to ensure uh, profitability for corn farmers and for the ethanol industry. And it's really 
there's a dividing line in, in rural Iowa over these projects. And a few of these candidates have made comments in regards to this particular issue. But there is something to say about the fact that the issues that I just identified earlier, the debt and the border, are really hot in Iowa, and they're hot nationally with Republican voters. And it's fascinating on those two issues, both Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley have sought to differentiate themselves from Donald Trump on those issues. That they, they can draw some contrast with the popular pseudo-incumbent in the race on these issues that are so top of mind for voters. We'll see how that plays out throughout the next uh, three months or so as they continue to prosecute their cases, take their cases to the good people of the Hawkeye State. Kay Henderson, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your insights and expertise. Thank you, David. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. We'll be back next Friday, October 20th, and nearly every Friday after that with a brand new episode. As we gear up for yet another pivotal election cycle, I want to take you inside the latest developments of the 2024 race from the campaign trail and beyond. Join us each week as we speak to candidates, campaign managers, party leaders, pollsters, and political reporters on the ground in the key states. And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured in a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use this recording on the podcast. This episode was produced by Grace Walker. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer, and Dan DeZula is our technical director. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week.